0: Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, the 16th of November. I'm coming to you from a baking Bahrain, ahead of the Bahrain International Trophy that takes place on Friday. The draw has just been conducted. I did that with uh, Ali Vance this morning and of course during the course of this episode not only all the news from here but also everything that's happening back home looking ahead to John Bonnet Warwick a little bit later on Constitution Hill later in the week. We'll also be talking about an interesting development to do with a gambling regulation in Ireland that could have a significant impact on television coverage of horse racing uh, in that country um, in, in the forthcoming years. First of all however here in Bahrain I'm joined by a man who's had the best season of his life winning the two most valuable races in Britain, the Derby and the Champion Stakes on Desert Crown and Bay Bridge. He's looking to pick up another big pot here in Bahrain on Friday on Passion and Glory. He is, of course, Richard Kingscott, but always good to catch up with you, Richard. And you you strike me as a a very relaxed man at the moment.
1: I am, yeah. Things are going well. And um, as you said, I've, I've had a great year and fingers crossed we can run a solid race and see what we can do Friday.
0: I want to talk to you a little bit about 2022 as a a whole two fantastic horses two wonderful races when you when you started off the campaign were you were you already eyeing up some of those big prizes did you think there was a possibility that that they might come your way
1: uh yeah i mean after i rode bay bridge at york last year he was one i was really looking forward to this year um obviously took until i until i got got a turn on him um but yeah you know um it, it was one of the one of them years that we had horses to look forward to, and it it transpired that they were very good horses.
0: How, How's it been building this jockey trainer relationship with? I don't think it's overstatement to say one of the one of the modern greats, really, in, in Sir Michael's Down?
1: Well, that's what he is, isn't he? Um, you know, it's been great for me um, to get on these type of animals and learned from sir michael and his team and um opened new doors to me and luckily i've not made a hash of it on the day
0: you definitely haven't made a hash of it absolute coolness on a a copybook epsom ride on on desert crown how much do you think the season missed him our memories are so short in this game how good a horse how good a horse is he just remind me how good he is
1: no he is very exciting you know he's done everything perfect and um yeah, it's a shame we didn't have him for the year. I think the three-year-olds could have really done with him to to take them along and um, show some real flair. But um, we'll just have to get it as a four-year-old next year.
0: And he's, he's come back and he's in good shape. All the reports seem to be quite good. Yeah,
1: everyone's happy with him. He's back in the yard and look forward to him.
0: Well, next year, do you see him as a as a mile and a half horse through and through, or do you think he'll revert to what he, we thought he was initially, which was more of a 10 furlong horse?
1: Look, he's only had three runs. I still wouldn't pigeonhole him. He's very relaxed, stayed the mile and a half well, but he does have gears, so I, I don't think we can pigeonhole him just yet.
0: And you've got another strength to your birth. Baybridge comes back as well, which he's intending to.
1: Yeah, exactly, and you know, similar again. Um, hopefully they, they don't meet. Yeah, but Yeah, that'll
0: be the struggle, keeping them, keeping them apart. Um, how would you? I know you don't want to pigeonhole horses, but how would you characterize Bay Bridge? How would you sum him up in a couple of sentences as an athlete? So
1: Bay's a very powerful horse, but he's got great attributes. He he really knuckles down as you saw at Ascot, um, and once he's once he gets up into top gear, he's he's relentless. But he really surprised me at Ascot with the gear that he showed. You know, William put some good pace into race two and a half three down and would have caught a lot of horses out so i was pleased my lad sharpened up plenty
0: what do you think of bahrain so far
1: i like bahrain it's a good trip i came out before covid um but um you know it's one of the good trips on the calendar Uh, and the the track itself it's a right-handed track it's
0: sharpish but it's not it's not super sharp like a doha or, or something like that
1: no it's a pretty fair track i mean it's we got a bit of a hill down into the bend but other than that very straightforward um no no real quirks and um as i say pretty fair
0: and a, a pretty good vibe at the at the races as well it's got a, a good local following here isn't it
1: absolutely yeah everyone's turned up and they put plenty on for us and as i say it's a, it's a good trip in the calendar
0: so you're riding for Godolphin for saeed a passion and glory I thought it's naturally quite a forward going horse.
1: He is, yeah, he's a good traveller, likes to be up in the van. I think drawn four's perfect for him just to, you know, get up there and take advantage and there's a few that might just have to take their time a little bit and suit us.
0: And for the remainder of this year I know you've got a target on your mind.
1: Yeah, I've got four more winners for a hundred and then I can take it easy.
0: Yeah, so I've had this conversation with loads of jockeys at this time of year before, and you think, oh, you've got like six weeks to knock off four. winners. It's so easy? It's actually not that easy, is it? No,
1: we've only got three weeks, really. I get back from here, and we've got then the jockey's break. That takes us near the end of November. Then, obviously, Christmas in December. So, you know, we've only really got three weeks of riding time. So, yeah, I'm sure we'll manage. If not, I've had a good year anyway.
0: If there's any kind trainers out there who are sort of feeling,
1: okay.
0: <laughs> feeling you know, beneficent in the next few weeks
1: yeah of course yeah try and
0: get the numbers back up all right looking for his 100th winner of the season richard kingscote rides passion and glory in the bahrain international trophy what a great season it's been to, uh, for him more from here in a few moments time all right well let me check back in at home with racing post senior writer lee Said lee first of all with constitution hill on the horizon we need to figure out what the weather's doing.
2: We do. Well, Nick, I would be, I suppose, about 15, 20 miles from Ascot. Um, it is raining here this morning. Uh, I spent a lot of yesterday on the road, and it was a wet road. Um, for most of the day, it was raining. And I did have a brief word with Nicky Henderson last night, who expressed his delight. This is going to be a stellar Ascot card in, in, on a normal Fair Chase Saturday, I would be heading up to, to Haydock to watch the Gold Cup contenders and this year we've got the Gold Cup winner, at Apolutar. But I think this year, I'm pretty sure a lot of other members of the media will think that Ascot is perhaps a more interesting card because you've got Constitution Hill, hopefully as well, Long Presse and Edward Stone. But Constitution Hill in himself is such a big draw now and there's such fascination about seeing what he can do this season. The horse who's already a red-hot favourite to beat Honeysuckle in the champion hurdle but i think he will be a hopefully a big crowd magnet at Ascot on saturday okay of course the big crowd magnet
0: today is john bonnet warwick
2: the, the vibes again seem very positive he's been quoting the racing post uh today and all sounds uh, extremely as you would want it to be um, the, again, the vibes are really good about John Bonn. Um, but my goodness, what a race. Fact, again, what a card of worry. If we just look at this race alone, John Bond versus Mon Morale versus West Cork. Um, I, I'm not sure I would be uh, as ex- confident that, as Lydia was yesterday that Mon Morale will be beating John Bonn. Although she wasn't confident, but she thought Mon Morale would beat John Bond. I'd be more of a John Bond man than a Mon Morale in this race. Um, but just look at that that whole card Nick, there's there's some really two really interesting novice hurdles uh, there's a, a high quality veterans handicap chase with names like lost in translation sepage derashe counter snow leopardess Celebre you know if you if you if you're one of those like uh, i myself who often laments the quality of midweek jump racing in britain well you you have an antidote to that today because the warwick card is fantastic
0: so we've often lamented uh, the quality of midweek jumping in in England. We've often um, praised to the to the heavens the quality and competitiveness of weekend jump racing in Ireland. But when Winnie Mullins has got six of the eight runners potentially in the Morgiana Hurdle at the weekend, it it leaves you somewhat scratching your head. Uh, three of those are owned by Susanna Ritchie. Earlier on I put in a call to her racing manager, uh, Joe Chambers, the three horses concerned, incidentally are Vauban, the Triumph hurdle winner, Saldier and Charger. And I I asked him what he was expecting and, and whether he was in the belief that Willie Mullins, as he said last night, would indeed run all six.
3: I think so. We've run two we've we have 2 we have we have often run two against each other in this race, Saldier and Charger in particular. Um, so, you know, running multiple runners would be nothing new for us, I guess to your point, Vauban is the, the up-and-comer with the difficult second album uh, to try and achieve as a four-year-old rising five um, Saldier is going to need it, he's coming back from an injury, um, and Charge is coming back from a long absence and all roads for him will probably lead to Leppertown at Christmas where he's running for the statue and a fifth Matheson, as I like to say, so they're, you know they're not all of the same age. Um, they're all at different spectrums of their career, um, and uh, I think we probably would be. Yeah.
0: And Willie Mullins has also got some incredibly talented horses, potentially in opposition to you, in Saggar and, and Stateman and, and Echoes and Rain, all of whom might want slightly different distances. I mean, I suppose Voban is the obvious one who could graduate to to, to champion hurdle class. What's your hunch as to how good he is? We're, we're, we're often in quite a hurry just to put a line through these juveniles and say, yeah, they won't be good enough till next year. They won't make the grade. He won't get any constitution Ill. What's your hunch as to th- this horse's base ability level?
3: Uh, we look, we think he's We think he's smart. Um, I was over there two and a half, three weeks ago now. He hasn't really grown that much um, height-wise. He has filled out. He's a little bit thicker. Um I I I I still watch back the triumph, and you know he he almost came to a standstill after the last, and he quickened again really smartly. I appreciate it wasn't the strongest run race of all time, but he did have smart form in the flat. Um, he's from a family that got better with age. You know, Vaultgeist and Mass Marvel are down the pedigree there as well. So um, I I do think he can continue to improve. For all that, he will probably never be a. 16-2 and knock-your-eyes-out type of national hunt um, animal. I, I should point out, however, um, he's got some way to go yet because he has not yet quite made it into Graham Rodway's uh, top 20 power rankings. <laughs> um, so uh, he clearly has a lot of ground to find.
0: <laughs> um, now, he, he might, may, 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 well, may well be there by the end of the year. Who, who knows? I, uh, what I wanted to sort of put put to you was the idea that this was a bit of a throwback, this horse. A genuinely high-class flat horse, and we're talking about Constitution Hill at the weekend. We know he's he's brilliant. We know he's brilliant, but he's a, a, essentially a jumping bred horse. We know honeysuckles a jumping bred horse. Yeah, this is a this is an old unreconstructed high-class horse off the flat with just loads and loads of pace. Does that give you hope that he can he can cut it in this division?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, with all those flat horses coming jumping, it all depends on how they take to to jumping, to hurdling, what their technique is like. And I think, you know, from Punchestown at New Year's Eve last year through to the Dublin Racing Festival, Cheltenham and Punchestown, I think his hurdling improved quite a bit. He was, you know, he was sloppy on debut. He was out to his right a little bit at Punchestown. Um, he made the mistake at the last at Cheltenham, but he was otherwise better, than good, good all the way through. And I thought his best round of jumping was a town. So you know he's only ran four times over hurdles in his life, probably the to sum total of thirty-two hurdles on a race course. Um, so I do think that as long as that continues to stay intact, and I would argue probably even improve, there is that you know. Natural ability that is there that will allow him to travel in a strongly run race, I, I believe, and I think we've also seen that he has the ability to quicken uh, and and have a fairly potent turn of foot. You know, Constitution Hill is obviously um, top of the market. Um I, I think Willie has even made his views known in the last couple of weeks about Suckle, You know, he can't get over it, uh, how big a price she is for the Champion Hurdle, but there's an awful lot of water to flow under the bridge. Yes, and you know the the first real. Champion Hurdle kind of contenders are coming out, be it in the Morgiana this weekend and the uh, and at Ascot, and then you roll into the Fighting Fifth and 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 the Bula and into uh, and into, into Christmas time. So I think we'll all be a lot wiser in six weeks' time. But I certainly think um, our lad is is there to put his hand up. Um, he didn't start his season last year till New Year's Eve, so you know he's probably I'd like to think got a plenty of runway um, to improve. Uh, even still.
0: Well, who knows whether he will appear at the weekend, but fingers crossed um, he will. Uh, Royal Pagai isn't going to run it at Haydock. How's he getting on?
3: Uh, he's okay-ish. I um, was at Phoenicia's last Thursday, sorry, last Friday and um, he's got a little problem with his wither. Uh, we weren't going to go to Haydock, we didn't think anyway. We were always likely to point him towards the Coral Gold Cup at, uh, at Newbury uh, in 10 days' time. Um, so he has missed a little bit of time. We might still get him to Newbury, um, and um, uh, I hope that we can. Uh, we kind of like the idea of being top weight and handicaps in the UK, um, and with the rain that's coming, um, hopefully Newbury will continue to get soft. If it's not soft enough, we might wait a week. There's the many clouds at Aintree. There's a race at Ascot as well. Um, we'll probably try and chase the weather a little bit, but Newbury, Newbury was and still is our preference, and we'll do our best to get him there.
0: Well, Joe Chambers, there, I mean, at this stage, uh, with the idea that perhaps all three of their horses might run and all six of the Mullins horses might run. But this is going to be a motif of the season, Lee, if it hasn't been for the last few seasons. But it only gets more exaggerated the extent to which or um, how little we, we know in the lead up to these big races about which horses are actually going to run.
2: And it's very difficult, therefore, Nick, to really sell the races. Certainly. It's one of the factors that um, almost destroys anti-post betting uh, on all but the the, the very top contests through the winter. I think it would be not impossible for any punter to be having a serious look at this race until declarations come in. Now, if Willie, uh, if, if if Joe's right and Willie does run all six horses, then we actually have something to to save it because even though the, the race will primarily be a, a one stable contest we do have some super horse in there like you know State Man, so gerhard charges it's a, it's a high quality contest but of course in, in a wider sense it also paints that picture of the of a, of a sports in ireland which even more so than the the flat in ireland now is, is dominated by so few trainers and also so few owners to an extent as well that that can't be a healthy thing but it's not a new thing and with the best one in the world there's absolutely no sign of that changing and Lee
0: just to pick up on what Joe said at the end of that interview there um, I know you'll be encouraged by the news that they're eyeing up the uh, Coral Gold Cup at Newbury off top weight with Royal Pagai if they can
2: get him there and if the rain falls their way that's what they'd like to do and that would be a great thing. Um, uh, Rich Ritchie was was had been quoted at Cheltenham over the weekend and explaining why the horse wouldn't be running at Haydock. But I would love to see Raw Pagai in the in the Coral Gold Cup. And actually, Nick, um, again, we're talking about antidotes to, to to cynicism and disappointment. Earlier on, we've had a bit of that this season on on this front as well. We saw Grenadine uh, winning off a very high mark in the Holden Gold Cup at. At Exeter and, and evoking comparisons between that and Demons' uh, second Hennessy by Paul Nichols, and we've hopefully got Edward Stone carrying top weight and a handicap at Ascot on Saturday. And you know, you what you love to see these high quality jumpers giving weight away. I think you know when when you and I were kids, Nick, it's what happened all the time. And I I personally often find that sort of test far more engaging and absorbing to watch than seeing horses go around in wait for age contests so I, I very much hope that we do see edward stone and ask on saturday and i very much hope that we do see Rob Pagai guy at newbury next saturday
0: back to another irish uh, issue now and that's the the news that gambling advertising under new proposals in the irish government would be banned uh, between non watershed hours so five o'clock in the morning until until nine o'clock at night now this could have some some quite serious repercussions, Lee.
2: Yeah, so um, we've been hearing for for months, for years, in fact, about the the, the situation on potential gambling reform, gambling law reform in the United Kingdom with a white paper that's never appeared. A similar process has actually been taking place in Ireland, but receiving less coverage. Well, it's received plenty of coverage last night and today, and for good reason. Because as you say, Nick, the, the gambling regulation bill, um, that was um, un- unveiled yesterday It paves the way for a gambling regulatory authority of Ireland uh, that will be launched in 2023 and as part of this legislation betting advertising will be banned prohibited from being shown on television between 5 30 a.m to 9 p.m no betting advertising will be allowed uh, and promotions on social media platforms that they the, the laws regarding that will be impacted as well. If you concentrate on the on the, the 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 reactions, first of all, from bookmakers, they've been largely very positive about this. They've been actually delighted by what's been unveiled because although um, the, the the laws regarding marketing and advertising are changing, the actual laws regarding how much punters can get on and can place on on their bets isn't being touched. And bookmakers actually, I think, generally speaking, don't mind if the government says. Uh, you can spend, you can do less with advertising or or promotions because as long as it affects them all, they're all in the same boat. I think the the key here for for Ireland in particular and the the impacts on Britain is that that ban, that that watershed ban because if you're a broadcaster um, and you're told you're not allowed to accept bookmaker advertising during the, the afternoons racing coverage or the evenings racing coverage, well, to an extent, that's fine if you're, only broadcasting from Ireland into Ireland. But as the as was pointed out um, yesterday by the Minister of State for Law Reform, James Brown, this would also impact on any broadcast feeds originating from the UK. He referenced Sky Sports in particular, but we have three British-based broadcasters, Sky Sports Racing TV and ITV, that broadcast horse racing into Ireland on a daily basis.
0: And, and all three of them absolutely chock full in their commercial breaks and
2: elsewhere with with bookmaker advertising. Absolutely. The, the, the days when we watched horse racing coverage and all we saw were w- adverts for chums' trousers in the breaks. They're long gone. Now it is all bookmaker advertising. And the the minister made clear that any feeds that have that bookmaker advertising in them would have to be cleaned or they couldn't be broadcast. So if you, are a, if you are a producer, a director at Racing TV, at Sky Sports Racing or at ITV, you will need to find a way um, of ensuring that in any commercial break that goes out in Ireland pretty much through the whole day that bookmaker advertisements do not appear in advertising breaks. Now, I, 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 I've only ever been on one side of a camera, Nick. I don't know how easy that is for broadcasters well, to do it. sure it's doable. It's, it's but it doable, con- but it's, it's
0: it's more that there's so much there's so much content embedded in the in the in the programs on Sky Sports Racing and on on Racing TV as well. I think it would it certainly would would need a a, a strong shake up editorially in order to in order to make that work, you know, efficiently. Um, and
2: that applies to ITV as well. I, you know, I, the,
0: the, the, I think it does. And th- does then that impact on how much racing from Ireland, for example, ITV show? Or I, honestly, there, it's a it's a bit of a minefield, as I see it, Lee. I mean, I think the more the more concerning point is whether is whether a, a, a new British government, perhaps in the next couple of years, decides. Well, if if Ireland have got a um, a ban on gambling advertising between at 5 am and 930 p.m and then it's, it's not ring fenced for horse racing then what's to stop the UK doing it
2: Well that's right I mean I I, there'll I, be I no know. racing on telly well absolutely I mean I, I don't know how this will impact um, Ireland's mainstream horse racing broadcasts RT in terms of how much revenue it would receive from from that sort of um, advertising but certainly um, there is absolutely no doubt Nick it that ITV's horse racing coverage, is is inextricably linked with bookmaker advertising. You know, you go back to the time before bookmaker advertising was permitted in the United Kingdom, and you had a situation where by horse racing was broadcast by the BBC and Channel 4, the BBC scaled back its horse racing coverage, Channel 4 maintained extensive coverage, but it only did that because horse racing was subsidising that coverage. Channel 4, in effect was paid to broadcast horse racing because it was deemed to be not commercially on its in its in itself worth doing now when bookmaker advertising came in everything changed and the channel four came and swooped to steal the bbc's horse racing rights because suddenly you had a product that was not only going to give you hours of coverage but it was also commercially lucrative and that has only increased to the extent that itv then came and swooped and poached Channel 4's rights. There's no doubt that ITV broadcasts horse racing because it has uh, a lot of confidence in the product and it likes the product, but equally, ITV is a commercial channel and not a charity. And it would not want to be doing the sort of horse racing coverage it's doing now, the extent to which it's doing it now, if it was not receiving no. uh, commercial benefit from that. There's no point in being naive about that. Now, I don't, I don't suspect... That the UK government, if it ever reaches the point where it's able to produce a, a white paper, and politics over here is, is so strange at the moment that who knows what's going to happen. And so the vibes have been that we weren't going to get this sort of uh, law within the within the legislation. But it is worrying because it shows that what can happen um, in a in a democracy where, from, from, to my extent, if I, I I didn't think that the 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 act to to gambling were quite as negative as they have been in the united kingdom so it is a concern
0: well the breeding stock of high caliber continues to flood into the the tattersall's breeding stock sale at the end of this month beginning of next month 28th of november to the 1st of december Added to the list, the star two-year-old, the Platinum Queen, winner of the Prix de L'Abbé, second to Highfield Princess in the Nunthorpe and last seen when not really enjoying the rub of the green in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. Sprint, her trainer Richard Farr is with me now. Oh, Richard, I bet you'd love to keep her, wouldn't you?
4: Oh, definitely, Nick. Um, a little bit out of my hands, this. Um, but she's been a wonderful filly for them. They've had great fun and... I can see both sides. I can see why they want to sell. It's it's a business, and uh, have a chance of of cashing in. And uh, be interesting to see how she gets on. You know, it'll it'll be good for for the industry to see how she sells.
0: And um, what's what's your hunch? Do you think that she makes most appeal as a as a filly who could go forward as a good sprinter next year, or is it her broodmare potential that's most significant?
4: Well, you've probably just nailed it. She's she's got two things in her favour. She's uh. She's a good one-winning two-year-old, um, and, and and plenty of black type, and good to race as well. Uh, there's no reason why she shouldn't race. She improved as the year went on, and physically she's improved, not not, not just her form. And she's not just a, a sharp two-year-old type, if that makes sense. She's got plenty of scope and size, and one that you'd be delighted to be training next year. So uh, if anybody does buy her, I, I would be delighted to carry on training, you know.
0: I think that's what surprised me the most. Because yeah, I very rarely get, got to see her until until York. I mean, she was already down at the start at Goodwood. I didn't get to see her much in the paddock there. When I saw her walking around the paddock before the Nunthorpe, I completely revised my opinion of her because she really didn't look like a, a sharp, early, five-furlong two-year-old. She looked quite different to that.
4: Uh, she's plenty of scope and size and uh, she's a good step to her. And um, she's, she's you know, she 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 will make a good broodmare when, when her time comes. Um, but, because she was so quick people just thought she was small and and just just sharp, but she's not she's she's a scopy girl with uh, with a good walk and, uh, and 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 a good shape about her and, uh, I mean she uh, history has shown that she was very well bought at fifty seven thousand and I mean there's a lot of little shareholders in her, and I can as I' repeating myself, you can see why they're having a look anyway to see to see what she'll make it be. Be great if, if 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 they could get a few quid and reinvest, you know.
0: And and who's who's put all the work into this into this filly, Richard? Because she she really does seem to have been a, a work in progress, sort of improving and strengthening, not just physically but mentally during the course of the season.
4: Yeah, look, she she when she came from the breeze, she she, she had two speeds, uh, but we tend to find with them breeze horses there that you're you're better off racing, them, you know because she's she's had a few runs um rather than galloping we we we, we ran her but oh she rode her out most most of the time and uh, she spent quite a bit on the treadmill but now now she's got herself into a routine where she can canter every day now and uh it wasn't she wasn't getting wound up if that makes sense before and after the gallop it was when she saw the gallop she wanted to go but as i say oh did a fantastic job on her now and got her to her to relax and she would just go out with one other but in, in the end the other day there in America there she'd, she, she'd hack around the tracks there, no, no issue so that mental side of her the, is, is a lot better than it was when she arrived but uh, sometimes the breeze horses can be a little bit like that but she, she, she's got herself into a good routine and you can train her normally now so uh, it's onwards and upwards, a good, a good break will do her a bit of good as well and uh, I'm sure next year she'll be no problems whatsoever.
0: Okay, that was Richard Fahey. Now, some good news that £3 million of funding is being awarded to the Horse Welfare Board by the Racing Foundation, meaning significant progress can be made on a number of welfare-focused projects. There are 17 of them, in fact, now live. I'm joined to talk about this by Rob Hazel from the Racing Foundation and Helena Flynn, who's the Programme Director for the Horse Welfare Board. Rob, first of all... Just explain how this funding is unlocked, how the industry finds this, and how you then decide how to distribute it.
5: Yeah, thanks, Nick. Well, um, before I even arrived at the Racing Foundation back in 2015, I think the trustees back then made a pledge of a million pounds towards equine welfare. And equine welfare has always been one of the foundation's areas of focus. Um, Obviously, it's vitally important to the Sports Social Licence, which are the kind of the charitable areas that the Foundation supports. But the arrival of the Horse Welfare Board and their strategy, I think, has led to a much more strategic approach. Um, and we can quite clearly see plans in place. We can see alignment of the work, coordination of the work. We can see that the likely outcomes that, that are going to be achieved. And I think the trustees of the Foundation have got, have got faith in the Horse Welfare Board, and they've certainly got faith in Helena and her team. And I think that faith has resulted in us being able to provide, you know, a significant amount of funding over the next three years. So uh, we're delighted that they're they're there and they're taking this strategic approach and we're pleased to support it.
0: So, Elena, the obvious question is, where does this money go? What happens to the three million?
6: Thank you, Dick. Um, I suppose the first thing for me to say is is, is a huge thank you to the, to the Racing Foundation and Rob and Tenzi and the team. For their continued support and belief in the team and the strategy that's in 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 place uh, we're absolutely delighted at the horse welfare board and the wider industry that we've received this funding it does mean now as <clears throat> as you said initially that 17 of these 26 projects are now live uh, we've got one that's completely delivered and one that's partially delivered um this this does mean that you know they're, they're focused on key areas and that's looking at kind of safety data aftercare and and welfare communications and within each of these areas there's projects that's now live which we're we're incredibly excited about Um, i don't know if it's useful nick if you wanted me to talk to some of those projects that are are, will will be live as a result of the funding
0: sure absolutely helena yeah no I, i we'd love to hear about that
6: wonderful wonderful well as I said, the key, one of the key areas is, is safety, and what we'll be looking to do, I've got a brilliant gentleman working in my team, Mike, uh, Mike Eppertink-Smith, and Mike comes from the eventing, eventing world, and he'll be focused on all the areas of safety, reducing risk, ensuring no stones left unturned, looking for that continuous improvement um, in, in all things um, safety, and, and Mike is looking at all areas from Um, And this is along with key stakeholders, without the stakeholders in the industry, none of this also would be possible because they've given up their time on working groups and steering groups and and their intelligence in driving these these things forward. But examples of which are are hurdle redesigned, technical specs, new hurdle frames, uh, above ground hurdles, ground lines. Mike is also complementing this work doing an independent review of of race courses that's jump courses so we're keeping him busy between now and april he will he will walk 40 courses and that's all about collaboration key learnings and and, and as i said looking for that uh, continual improvements and um, other things that he'll be doing is is turf research and this is you know, now that we have this funding, we've been able to bring in expertise, not only use expertise within the industry, but also outside the industry and um, through brilliant collaborations and partnerships. And, and an example of this is some of the turf research that Mike's doing on, on the safety side, we'll, we'll be collaborating with a with the university to kind of drive that forward you'll have seen on already Nick is is the work that's done on on Equine Vision and um, that's you know across the race courses turning them from orange to mm-hmm. white yeah. and the wonderful thing is that will be completed in December and um, it's 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 actually it felt like a long time but it's actually yeah it's gone quite quickly So the last one will be done. I think it's Cheltenham all course that will be done in in December. But the other area that that Mike will be looking at is is the prevention side, is really looking at things like suitability to race, eligibility to race, and everything that touches um, equine safety, uh, which is is great. Um, And then I have on, on, on the kind of traceability and data side, uh, working of uh, Steve Wensley and my team, who'll be, who focuses on, um, he's working with stakeholders, looking at ways to close the gap um, on traceability. And there's already this brilliant work that's going on already that has commenced with Weatherbees and and the constant review of the the e-passport and the progression of that. TBA have been doing brilliant work on the fall crop analysis and and then we're also looking at at the aftercare space and how what that looks like in in, in terms of traceability um, and and linking up uh, some of the work that weather bees are doing with our our partner um, ROR in capturing data on horses leaving and training. The other area we're really excited about, and this is something that James Given was really keen to establish, is, is a one-stop shop for epidemiology and data analysis. And again, as a result of this funding, that will be, that will be in place. We're nearly there with the contract, um, but we're working with, we've got a brilliant partnership in place with the university to, to drive that forward, uh, which is, which is fantastic. And Nick, just my last one, just to mention, there's so much stuff happening that we're so excited about. Um, but is is just looking at aftercare because I know this is a really important area for me, yep. for for the industry, and, and and it's an area that many people are are interested in. Um, I've got Francesca Compostella, who I know has spoken to you previously, Nick, and and Fran has come in and she's looked at kind of bringing to bringing to life the aftercare funding review recommendations. And you'll have seen that come to life in the form of um, establishing you know racing's extent of of responsibility looking at that first step out Um, and that came with the the establishment of the partnership with heroes through uh we did a a thorough um pitch process uh, which 60 suppliers were were involved with and, and heroes was the winning center um also i don't know if you've had a chance to speak to me yet but there's a, a brilliant gel- gentleman that's in as the new md for ror david Catlow, and, and david's got some fantastic um strategies visions in place to drive forward the aftercare proposition um and one of the areas himself and Fran will be looking at over the over the next um couple of months uh, delivered early next year will be the accreditation they're looking it's been developed as part of a wider industry accreditation review working alongside our partners in the roa uh bringing that accreditation to life ensuring consistency and standards and and best benchmarking and best practice so lots of stuff as a result of this funding it's it's a really exciting time for us to be able to bring some of this stuff to life in the immediate future which is which is exciting
0: significant developments there no doubt now Ahead of an important period, let's head to Hong Kong and J.A. McGrath.
7: Nick, what a frustrating week in Hong Kong for officials and a couple of very big-named jockeys. In case you're not up to speed on this, here's the story so far. Five-times champion Zach Purton gets word on Sunday that he's tested positive to COVID, which means a mandatory seven days on the sidelines. Perton is forced to give up seven rides at Happy Valley today. But never worry, or so officials thought, the cavalry are coming in the shape of Sydney superstar Hugh Bowman, Winx's jockey. But I'm only getting started on this story. Bowman picks up four of Zach's rides at the valley, and they're good ones too. Only then to learn that one of his family, who he's travelled with from Australia, by the way, he's booked uh, for a three-month stint in Hong Kong, That family member has tested positive to COVID as well. Bowman, being a close contact, must, under government regulations, also go into isolation for seven days. So Huey is forced to give up a full book of nine rides at Happy Valley. Then the ultimate twist in the tale. Bowman is subsequently contacted by the testing unit and informed that his family member's test was actually a false positive. Really, you couldn't make this up. So, no Zach, no Huey at the Valley today, and they'll have to get clearance before they can ride a chart in on Sunday, which is Hong Kong's big trials day for the Hong Kong International races in December. It's Hong Kong's equivalent to Arc Trials Day in Paris, which, as you know, takes place three weeks before the Arc. But back to the jockeys, there is some encouraging news, though. Mikhail Barcelona will ride at Sha Tin this Sunday, as too will James McDonald and Blake Shin, and also the announcement today that Jamie Carr, the only female to have won a major title in Australia, has been invited to compete in the International Jockeys Challenge next month, which sets up the first meeting on the track of Carr and also British heroine Holly Doyle. Others invited are Ryan Moore, some familiar faces, uh, McDonald, Tom Marquand, and Japanese jockey Yuga Kawada. An impressive list of names, I'm sure you'll agree. Let's hope there are no COVID testing hiccups with those big names in town. But back to Happy Valley today, Jai McNeil is the main beneficiary of Hugh Bowman's misfortune. He rides Comet Splendido in race nine. Jai rode Twilight Payment to win the 2020 Melbourne Cup and he's the reigning Melbourne champion. He's a good pilot. So I think he'll win on the last on uh, Comet Splendido. His danger is number six, never too soon. So take a, a tote swinger or multiples five and six Comet Splendido and never too soon in race nine. One other bet for you and that's in race number eight. Number two the Irishman who's racing in rare form at the moment uh, ran on very well and should be able to get away with race eight. So race eight number two the Irishman. That's all on the Hong Kong Beat this week. I'll have more for you next week
0: jim thank you very much finger on the pulse on and off the track extraordinary goings on in hong kong this week and i will be talking to jim on friday about the action that's going to take place in the lead up to the hong kong international race day we're back here in bahrain joined by
8: ed veal who's the head of racing for the bahrain turf club ed how's how's it all going seems to be going really well so far um delighted to have so many connections in and yeah it seems full steam ahead for friday we've just done the draw which is really exciting uh, just just the ten runners now, so there should be no no major draw by. So I think we've got we've got happy for c- connections for now.
0: A little bit of a blow with, with losing our flailer earlier in the week.
8: Really disappointing. It's you know it's it's one of those things. It's it's horse racing and th- these things do happen. It's it's sad to see which which looked like one of the most progressive horses we've had out here for the Baron International Trophy to uh, to go wrong so late in the day. But as I said, that's that's racing, and uh, the good news is the horse was was dealt with incredibly well by Baker McVeigh out here. Um, Owen while be it disappointed is, uh, seems, seems happy how the horse is now
0: I mean Ed we've seen that the race has already taken an elevation to group 3 status um, I, I know you'd like to, a bigger field this year to try and push it up but what, what are the ultimate aspirations for it?
8: Yeah, we always you always want to have a full field, but we, we have been unlucky, and it, it is one of those things. But it's it's ten very good horses. You know, I'm looking looking at those names on the on the draw now, and it's it's ten quality horses and, and ten horses who, who will hopefully help us get to that Group Two level. Um, we probably need the the first four to be of an average rating of 110 plus. So you know, onwards and upwards, and hopefully we get that in the bag this year, and and then we we um, we realign our sights to Group One. Um, looking at where you're
0: sitting in the calendar as well. You've got, got quite a nice little niche carved out because you're after Melbourne, you're after the Breeders' Cup, you're before Hong Kong, Japan. It, it sort of sits quite nicely, hence why you've got some of the big
8: players. Yeah, I mean, it sits really nicely in the international calendar, but but probably more importantly for the horses we're attracting at the moment, it sits perfectly in the European calendar of just tagging along to the, to the end of the, the flat season in Europe. The horses don't have to stay in training for that that much extra time that they would do if they were you know realigning for for something like hong kong or even setting sights ahead for saudi and dubai so it's um it's well positioned internationally but but also at the moment for, for the horses we're attracting well positioned in europe
0: thanks to all my guests today lee is still with me lee news from um the british horse racing authorities uh, independent judicial panel yesterday as regards that st ledger appeal that took an eon to actually make it to to tribunal but it got thrown out anyway
2: Yeah, the Kazoo St. Legendic took place on Sunday, September the 11th this year. On Tuesday, November the 15th, we finally got a definitive verdict on the result. As uh, listeners to the pod will recall, uh, the Judmont Philly Haskoy, trained by Rafe Beckett, finished second um, in that race. In the same race, the Marco Botti trained Giavaletto, finished fourth. But there was interference on the day. Uh, As a result of that interference, Haskoy was disqualified, Giovetto was uh, promoted. Um, the connections of Haskoy uh, not surprisingly challenged that decision by the, the stewards. Um, the, the the value of Haskoy finishing in the in the in, in second place was clearly huge for a, a future paddock's value with black type etc. Um, it went to an appeal hearing yesterday. It was not a successful appeal hearing. And Rafe Beckett summed it up rather uh, phlegmatically by saying you win some, you lose some. They had a go, they lost. I I didn't think it was myself uh, an appeal that would be successful, albeit I didn't see all the, the camera angles that those at the hearing would have seen yesterday. But I don't think it was necessarily the biggest surprise that Haskoy wasn't. Um, place back into second place. But the, the panel thought it was an entirely fair appeal to make. So there was no there was no, uh, hint of the deposit uh, being retained. But no, Haskoy does not get second place back in the certain edge. But the good news is she stays in trading next season and she will no doubt be a start to look forward to. And where is your deposit going today? Well, Nick, 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 I I wish I was myself going to Warwick because it's such a a fascinating card. As I said before, I eulogised about the Veterans Handicap Chase earlier on. I think it's an absolutely cracking contest and I'm hoping that Celebre Dalen continued largely where he finished off last season. He was a very progressive horse for the Philip Hobbs team. I'm tipping him to win the 3.15, the Racing TV Veterans Handicap Chase.
0: All right, Lee, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. Be back to do it again from here in Bahrain tomorrow. That was Wednesday, November the 16th. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.